You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Bethel. So good to be back with you again. Before we dive into this, though, I got a couple items of business that we must cover. Uh, I hate to do this, but is Keegan Collier in the room? Are you here? There's a student who spoke MLK Day. Are you here, Keegan? Raise your hand. Anyone know Keegan? Okay, yes? All right. So maybe he was given permission to skip today since he spoke, but I want you to know I listened to his Martin Luther King Day talk on the way to the Denver airport yesterday. I would have hopped on that airplane to fly, not to stand here, but to sit in those seats to listen to him deliver that talk again. Uh, Yeah, so if you know Keegan, would you thank him for me? That was a talk that honored God, honored our King, but is desperately a needed message uh, for the community, for us, for all of us uh, in this time. So, and tell him, I saw that he's studying Christian ministry. If he needs a role in Christian ministry, have him give me a call, okay? Barb, you got my number. We want Keegan on the Youth for Christ staff, okay? Fair enough. All right, second thing. Did I, do I understand this correctly? Men's soccer team, national champions? Congratulations, well done. That is amazing, you guys. We've got uh, a little soccer player. I've got a seven and a five-year-old at home, and my son, Silas, he's seven. He's playing soccer as well. We're going to hopefully send him to Bethel someday where he can play here, but he got a bunch of soccer gear for Christmas, and his season doesn't start until March, and he, he bagged up all of the soccer gear, and he threw it by the front door, and I said, hey, bud, can you go put that in your room? He goes, nah, I'm going to leave it there till March. I mean, he is ready to go, and hopefully someday we'll be a Bethel pilot. All right, so I bring you greetings this morning from Youth for Christ, thousands of leaders around the world who are pursuing middle schoolers and high schoolers with the love of Jesus who desperately need the hope of Christ. Uh, So we greet you this morning on behalf of the Youth for Christ movement, and I have a question for you. I want you to be honest. There's no lying in chapel. Uh, Be honest with me. Who actually ate breakfast this morning? Raise your hand if you actually ate breakfast. Okay, quite a few of you. Now, put your hand down if it was just like a cup of coffee and a Pop-Tart, because that doesn't count. All right, so you can tell at our house whether it's a weekday or a weekend just by the tone of breakfast, right? Weekdays are totally chaotic. We are like rehearsing spelling words and doing all kinds of stuff. Weekends, mom and dad are lying in bed. The kids are figuring out how to make their own breakfast, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, So breakfast at our house over the weekends is an affair that we like to linger over. I'm the breakfast guy at our house. So it's, it's usually pancakes or waffles or something extravagant, but not on the weekdays, not a chance. And so what I want to invite you into this morning to consider with me is the most epic breakfast in all of Scripture. The most epic breakfast in all of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, would you go to John chapter 21? We're going to read starting in verse 1, but I'll give you some context. This is days after the death of Jesus, and Peter looks at six others. He says, hey, I'm going fishing. And over the years, people have criticized Peter's decision. They asked the question, was he showing a lack of faith by returning to his boat after all that they had experienced in the past few weeks? Should he have waited for Jesus' arrival to know what his next marching orders would be? Or some will take a more practical approach and say, well, this is his trade. This is all that he knew. He had a family to feed, so maybe he should have done exactly what he did. Just go back to fishing and wait for the Lord 
to return. But either way, what you can imagine in this moment, as we look in on John chapter 21, is their confusion and their discouragement. The Messiah had been crucified. He appeared to some, but he doesn't in those moments seem to linger very long, even when he appears. And in this moment, the disciples are overcome by their pain, even their shame, and they revert to all they know. So I want to ask you to do something. As we read this text this morning, it's a familiar story. Because it's a familiar story, I want to ask you to try to engage your senses. Can you imagine the sound of the sea? Can you smell the smoke of the fire? Can you taste the freshly cooked bread and fish? And ask yourself as we read this how the Holy Spirit might apply it to our lives right now in this moment. The most epic breakfast in all of Scripture. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. But Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that it, by the power of your Holy Spirit, it would penetrate our hearts this morning, that my words would de decrease and your words would increase as we seek to know you more. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to quickly make three observations about the story and then attempt to apply it, and then we'll send you to class, okay? First observation is this. This is unmatched hospitality. Unmatched hospitality. Do you know someone with the gift of hospitality? Think about that for a moment. What is it that prompts you to think of them as a great host? 
You know, in, in traveling the country, I get to experience lots of great hosts, people with the gift of hospitality. Maybe it's a home-cooked meal. Maybe, you know, they remember a cell phone charger. They've got an extra when I forget mine. But in all my travels, there is no one, two greater hosts than Bart and Mona, who are some friends of mine that live in Florida. And this is why, get this, in advance of my trip to Florida, they contacted my wife, Allie, and they, she sent photos of the family. They printed out and framed photos of my family and had them sitting by the bed in their guest room when I arrived at their house. Isn't that cool? I want you to imagine for a moment a weary traveler who comes rolling in, and maybe it was just the, the exhaustion, but I was having tears of joy in that moment, thousands of miles away from home, to crawl into a bed where I could look over and see my family framed in those photos next to the bed. That earned for me, Bart and Mona, the superhost status in my book. You see, the best hosts are already a step ahead. They're making preparations. They're thinking about their guests and anticipating their needs before their arrival. They're focused on the guests' well-being. They're emotional, they're social, they're physical, and the host will do whatever it takes to provide comfort to the guest in those moments. So who's the host in John 21? It's Jesus, our resurrected Savior himself. We know him, of course, as King and Priest and Lord, and for all of those reasons, he is worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. But in this moment, he bridges the gap from the throne room of heaven to humanity, and he manifests himself as host. The one who was waiting upon the lakeshore is the very one who waits for us today as the consummate host. Now, this is one of my favorite moments in the story. Because did you notice that there's already fish on the fire? John kind of plays that down. But how did he do that? Where did he get the fish? And then Jesus already has everything spread out that they need for their nourishment. And then yet he invites them to participate as if they had something to do with it. Yeah, bring some of the fish that you just caught. They caught? Really? He invites these men warmly into his presence. Unmatched hospitality. The second observation is that it's familiar hospitality. It seems like we've seen this episode before, doesn't it? Now, someday when you're older and you have little kids running around the house, your brain will turn to mush just like mine has. And you will get the privilege of sitting down with your future spouse, and you will turn on Hulu or Netflix or whatever it is at that time, and you will have this argument, this classic argument. I think we've seen this one before. No, 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 we haven't seen it before. Yeah, I, I think we've seen this one before. Okay, agree to disagree. Okay? You will get that privilege. So sometimes when we read a story like this in Scripture, especially out loud in a context like this, we go, I, th I think I've heard this one before. But the fact is there are two very similar stories to this one in Scripture. The fact is this is a familiar story. We first met Peter in Luke 5, and he has been fishing all night, and he's caught nothing. So he's naturally exhausted, and he's dejected, and this is his livelihood. And this man who he doesn't know well, who's a, not a fisherman, tells him to change his methods and try again. And Peter humors the rabbi in that moment and does as he's told, and he, of course, lands a net-breaking catch. More boats are needed to bring in the haul in that moment. 
And that first time in Luke 5, Peter becomes aware of his spiritual poverty. In the presence of Jesus, he falls to his knees and he begs Jesus to leave him. Instead, Jesus in that moment welcomes him into a brand new adventure. From now on, they will be fishing for men. So three years later, here we are, we've come full circle. Peter has endured an entire night of fishing with nothing to show for it, and a stranger on the shore calls to him, makes a ridiculous suggestion yet again, and this time, Peter throws on his outer garment, plunges into the water, and splashes his way to the Savior. This is familiar hospitality. By the way, I might be reading too much into this, but it does seem like John gives us a little glimpse into his relationship with Peter in these moments. You know, John wants to make sure that we know that it was he who noticed that it was Jesus first. He refers to him often as himself often as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then he outs Peter. Do you notice that? In the text, he outs Peter for being stupid enough to throw on his coat and jump into the water when we were just a few yards from shore. So (laughs) you get a little bit of a sense of the relationship between John and Peter in this moment, which leads me, this is the third observation, and this is probably the most significant observation, at least for me personally. And that is it's undeserved hospitality. Worship leader took us to 1 Corinthians 13 earlier, and this ties in for me, this idea of undeserved hospitality. This is where I start to take a ton of comfort into this story, because think about it. Who were these men that were being warmly welcomed by Jesus? Well, you got Simon Peter, who has recently denied Jesus. You've got Thomas, who doubted his resurrection. You've got Nathaniel, who was initially skeptical that anything good could come out of Nazareth. You've got James and John, who like to argue about who's going to have the most prominent place in heaven. And then, two others. Two others. So, by the way, I can relate to this. I'm a musician, but... My parents really tried hard to get me to play sports. (laughs) So you know how that works out? I rode the bench all the way through school, right? And when you're riding the bench, you get used to being the two others, right? Because they make all this big deal about announcing the starting lineups, and then there's the others who come rolling out behind them. That was me. Two others. Surely they had their shortcomings as well. Maybe you can relate. Why are the other two not named? Did John forget their names when he's writing this years later, but somehow he remembered that there were exactly 153 fish that were caught? I don't know about that. Did his ego get in the way? Maybe. He didn't want them to be remembered. The disciple that Jesus loved. Two others. Did he think that it was an unimportant detail? Or... Does he know that this story really isn't about the disciples at all? It's a story about the hospitality that is buried in the heart of God, who initiates the miracle, who has already prepared the fire, who invites them to bring their own fish, and who feeds them. Unmatched hospitality familiar 
hospitality. Undeserved hospitality. So what does it mean for us? First, we can be assured, yes, just as the worship leader said earlier, I I felt like we could sort of just close in prayer in that moment. We can be assured that Jesus invites us with our failures. Jesus invites us with our failures on our own. They've failed at fishing, but they're also aware of their failures in following Jesus himself. In fact, all seven had scattered when Jesus was arrested. Remember, only John was at the cross. And what this reminds me of, and I thank God that Jesus invites the hurting. He invites those who are licking their wounds. He invites those of us who have experienced setbacks. And he invites those of us who are bashful in his presence. One of my deepest fears, actually, is the fear of failure. I don't know where that comes from, and I don't have time in a setting like this, but if we were sitting at a coffee right now, I could walk you through five moments last week where I felt like a failure. And then I think to myself, well, if Jesus can invite these guys who feel like failures, what can he do with us? What can he do with me, with you? Perhaps the two unnamed disciples in this story give us the opportunity to step into this story ourselves. So let me ask, what failures is Jesus disregarding in you as he warmly welcomes you to come enjoy a meal? Are you willing to follow the lead of Peter and disregard your failures as well? like a friend of mine says, Jesus doesn't ask his disciples to be superhuman. He invites them to be simply human. Verse 12, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Come and warm up. Come rest after an exhausting night. Come and enjoy my presence. Do you notice what he's not doing in this moment? He is not folding his arms and remaining aloof until they get their act together. He is not saying, hey, come and let me lecture to you about everything that you've done. He is not. What he is doing is showing up as generous host and gently, generously welcoming them ashore using the miraculous catch that they have provided. He knows what they're thinking and feeling, but all he does is gently invite them to come and to eat with him. Jesus is the master of invitation. And all throughout the Gospel of John, we hear of these invitations. To those who are seeking, he says, come and see. That's in John 1.39. For those who are thirsty, he says, come and drink. That's in John 7.37. For those who are desperate and discouraged, we see a moment like this in John 21, where he says simply, come and have breakfast. I don't pretend to know where you are. But I know how I was as an undergrad, and I know how often I let my own sense of failure define my relationship with God in those moments. And the truth is, Christ's invitation to those who have failed is never towards shame. It is always towards deeper relationship with Him. So what invitation is the Lord offering you today? He invites us in spite of our failures. Second, Jesus invites us to humble dependence. 
In a culture that we live in that is obsessed with independence, this is actually really freeing because it reminds us that we can do nothing without him. With him, all things are possible. We read about that in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Later in Philippians 4.13, Paul describes how he had been through times of plenty and he had been through times of want. And he says, you know, the only secret that I have learned in those moments is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Matthew 5, Jesus' first sermon, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus invites us into this humble dependence. Our expertise, our abilities, our skills, our determination may fall short of life's challenges, but this is good news because the very moment that we come to the end of ourselves, it puts God in this perfect position for him to give us himself freely, completely, without reserve. Can you relate? Have you worked hard lately and come up with empty nets lately? I watched my son rock climbing yesterday. He got like 80% of the way up, and he looked down. And he goes, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. And it was only because of the guy that was holding the belay rope who said, no, 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 you're almost there. Go for it. Only because of that teamwork that he was able to make it up the rest of the way. Jesus invites us in that kind of posture in humble dependence. So where are you today? Are you standing in the boat? Are you fixated on your empty nets? Or are you standing on the shore enjoying the humble dependence of Jesus? Final application Jesus invites us into courageous faithfulness. And sometimes that courageous faithfulness is totally illogical, makes no sense whatsoever. First, cast your nets to the other side, fishermen experts. Oh, just throw on your coat, dive into the water, swim towards me. Sometimes it makes no sense, but has the Lord ever asked you to do something courageously faithful that feels like it makes absolutely no sense? He did that for me. I'll tell you a quick story. I was a senior at Bradley University. I had studied software development. I had launched a software company. It was actually going quite well. And then I had zero interest in joining the Youth for Christ staff. None. But they convinced me to go on a volunteer assignment on a week of camp to be a cabin leader with a group of kids that didn't know Jesus. And there was one particular kid named Josh who had a reputation for being the rough and tough kid at camp. Who, when, I heard the, when he heard the gospel being proclaimed, proclaimed, received Christ that day, later admitted that he had shot someone, and now I had this journey as a volunteer to journey alongside Josh as he reconciled the blood of Jesus that forgives him with his earthly consequences of what he had done to navigate the system and the juvenile detention facilities. And in that moment, the Lord used that volunteer assignment to completely break my heart for this mission. I went back to my business partners. I went back to my parents. Remember, I have studied software for four years that they've paid for. I said, I think I'm going to go be a missionary at Youth for Christ. (laughs) Let me tell you how that went. Um, The point is, what about you? Are you aware of any invitations from the Lord that require a risk of obedience? I know you had Go Week last week, right? 
My guess is that many of you heard a prompt from the Holy Spirit and that you might be on the edge right now of whether or not you are going to follow that crazy, illogical prompt that was on your heart. Now, to be clear, I am not suggesting that you should all become missionaries. We need someone to write the checks, okay? So, like Billy Graham, our first employee, I believe that the next big revival will be in the workplace. So I am not saying that you should all become missionaries. And those of you who know me well know that I am really, really hopeful about your generation. I believe that God is going to use you in a significant way to impact the world for Christ. So don't all become missionaries, but the point is this. You don't know the result of the big moves when you're about to take them, when he asks us to take them. We don't know the result of the big moves. I remember that driving me nuts in my 20s. I wanted to know exactly what would result of the big moves. But maybe it's time to ask the Lord for the kind of courageous faithfulness like Peter had in that moment, for that faithful act of obedience that the Holy Spirit nudged you about last week in Go Week. Maybe it's the simple things, the little things, like helping a friend who's really struggling. Maybe it's the big things, like changing your major. I don't know. Maybe it's having the courage to end something that you know doesn't honor him. Or maybe it's time to take a risk to launch something that you believe will glorify him, whatever it is. I don't pretend to know what that courageously faithful step is for you, but I know that right now you are sitting here, sitting here in a required chapel just praying that I will pray so that you can get the magic QR code from the screen. I get it. You're here and I'm here, but maybe the better question is, where is the Lord right now? I believe he's already ahead of you. He's thinking on you. He's smiling on you. He is preparing the most epic breakfast that in an act of generosity, he's going to actually let you believe that you caught. And he's beside you in this moment. He's listening to your heart. He is aware of everything that you are feeling. He is in you. He is guiding you in the truth through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you this morning, simply this. Let's take a cue from Peter. As we continue to reflect on all that the Lord pressed upon your heart last week, in spite of your failures, through humility and dependence, into courageous faithfulness. Bethel, there's one thing I know that you look across this room, there are faculty members who are cheering you on, and we can't wait to see what results of you responding to that simple prompting of that act of obedience that makes no sense. Let's see what Christ does next. As Christ himself sends you out into the world, having enjoyed first this simple but delicious meal, the most epic breakfast in all of Scripture. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, still struck by the fact that you had everything that they needed even before they got to the shore. That is such a sweet mystery to me. And Lord, the fact is you have everything that we need right now. Even in the midst of our striving and in the midst of our trying, we can just live into the joy. So Lord, I pray for each one in this room. I pray a blessing over this 
group of students and faculty and staff. I pray that they would have unending joy as they leave this place. I pray that they might respond to the prompting of your Holy Spirit in an act of courageous faithfulness. And Lord, we will give you all honor and glory and praise as they change the world because you moved in and through them. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.